Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We are in week two of uh, the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit. We will probably be in the Doctrine of the Holy Spirit at least one more week. It could be two. It depends on how much we get through in two weeks. Next Wednesday night's a special night. We've got one of the pastors and ministers from El Salvador. Our students have begun a partnership with Lored Ministry in El Salvador. He's going to be here next Wednesday, and uh, Tad's going to be kind of leading that discussion. Our mission partner's going to share, and we've got some opportunity, a mission opportunity to go back to El Salvador uh, sometime later this year. You'll hear some about that as well uh, and hear from a mission partner. So two weeks from tonight, we will come back and deal with the subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Uh, and potentially deal with the, that in line, in line with thinking about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit with relation to tongues and spiritual gifts. We may be able to do all of that in one night. We may have to break that up into two nights. I'm still not uh, settled on that yet. But tonight we're going to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. Now let me say at the outset while the notes are going out, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is found in the Old Testament. But the primary teaching on the Holy Spirit is in the New Testament. So we're not going to spend a whole lot of time tonight or any of the weeks in the, in, in the future looking at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Let me just kind of uh, uh, overlap that or, or kind of state it very clearly. The Spirit is present in the Old Testament. He's present in creation. He hovered over creation. You can read that in the book of Genesis chapter 1. But the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament did not indwell every believer. Okay, that was not the role of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. You will find time after time in the Old Testament where the Holy Spirit fell on a believer at a particular situation and circumstance. There are times where the Holy Spirit fell on David. There were times when the Holy Spirit fell on a prophet. But that was for a specific purpose at a specific time. The way that the Bible articulates the ministry of the Holy Spirit is in the Old Testament. He came and he went as God's people needed. But the New Testament is where we discover that the Holy Spirit has a specific role in dwelling the life of the believer. And that had to happen after the gospel. That had to happen after the death of Jesus on the cross. And so that's the unique transition for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian. So, when we think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned last week, there's a little bit of that that is uh, uncertain. Maybe mysterious would be the right way to put it. Uh, and, and there are times where, and maybe you are like me, you've seen in other denominations where the Holy Spirit is attributed to having used, uh, you know, given somebody a, a fantastic spiritual gift, right? And, and then they use that, and, and that's, that's okay. We're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think there are, there's a validation of that even today. But then there's language like this where they're said, okay, uh, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not really saved because you don't have the Holy Spirit like you should have the Holy Spirit. And, and so there's a tendency for us to not be certain and settled about the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians. So what I want to do tonight is walk through what Jesus teaches about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 15, and 16. We're going to look at several different uh, paragraphs where Jesus is teaching his followers, here's the work of the Spirit, 
We're going to note some other places uh, at the Spirit's work in our life. And we're going to deal with the things that are very clear and very obvious from the New Testament about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the Christian before we move in two weeks to the areas that maybe we still have some confusion on. What does the baptism of the Holy Spirit mean? What does speaking in tongues mean? And how does the Bible articulate that and make sense of that with the gifts of the Spirit? So let me give you a quote from Charles Hodge, great Princeton theologian of a bygone era. He could not serve at Princeton today. He would be far too conservative because he actually believed the Bible. And if you're at Princeton today, I'm not sure you can believe the Bible and be a professor there. So he was a great Princeton professor of years gone by. He said this about the Holy Spirit, As the Father and Son are terms of expressive, expressive of relation, it is natural to infer that the word spirit is to be understood in the same way. The Son is called the Word as the revealer or image of God, and the third person is called Spirit as his breath or power. He is also predominantly called the Holy Spirit to indicate both his nature and his operations. He is absolutely holy in his own nature, and the cause of holiness in all creatures. So one of the primary means or primary uh, purposes of God saving us is to sanctify us. God wants to take you from who you were at conversion and make you into Jesus Christ. That's his purpose. That's why he didn't take you to heaven the day you confessed your sins and trusted Christ to be your Savior. He's giving you your entire life to grow in sanctification. That's to grow in holiness. He gave us the Holy Spirit that we might be able to grow in holiness. And the more more we're aware of the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians, guess what God's going to do? He is going to make us more and more holy in our attitudes, in our beliefs, and in our behaviors because that's God's purpose for you and I as Christians. And that's not very complicated. It might be hard, it might be difficult, but it's not very complicated. That's exactly what the Spirit is, what God sent the Spirit to do, is to make us holy. So let's walk through what Jesus says about the role of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. Uh, John 13 through 19 all happen the same night. Uh, John 13 begins with Jesus washing his disciples' feet in the last meal, the Passover meal that they ate together. John 14, 15, 16, and 17 are five extended chapters that are full of glorious truth that Jesus taught. But he taught the last night before he was crucified. So he's giving his last words, last sermons, last teaching to his followers before his death on the cross. And so one of the things that he does is he transitions their understanding from an understanding where they're following him and he's the primary leader of their faith to them understanding that he's going away and they need to know that there's someone that is going to come in the place of Jesus to continue leading them to follow Jesus. And so he introduces, not introduces, he unpacks more clearly in these passages the ministry of the Holy Spirit than he has in previous sections of his teaching in the New Testament. So John chapter 14, and we'll pick up in verse, uh, how about verse 15? Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, or paraclete, or comforter, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 
Jesus goes on in verse 20, 18, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. Isn't that good news? You're not going to leave us as orphans. You're not going to leave us without parentage. You're not going to leave us without someone to guide. Well, who is it that guides? It's not Jesus in human flesh. Jesus isn't walking in, in the world today in his human flesh. He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. So who is he going to send? Well, he's going to send the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 19, yet a little while and the world w- will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And that day you'll know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. How in the world are we going to know that? Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus said, answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus said, the father and I will come to you and make our home with you. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the words that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. Verse 25, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So Jesus began that section introducing the fact that he was going to send another helper. And then he goes on to say over and over again, I will be with you. I and my Father will be with you. You love me and keep my commandments. We'll make our home with you. How does that happen? Well, that happens through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, verse, 20, uh, verse 26, the Father will send in Jesus' name. He will come and indwell us. We'll unpack that in a moment. But he will teach us. The first line there, Jesus describing the Spirit's work, he describes the Holy Spirit in the following ways as helper, and we could, the, the blank there is comforter. If you want to use the, the Greek word parakletos or paraclete, it carries with it the idea of something tremendously encouraging. A paraclete is an advocate and is a comforter. Okay? So there is a legal ramification. An advocate is someone who is standing on our behalf. That's truly what Jesus is doing in heaven, by the way. He is standing in between us and the Father, serving as our priest. He is our advocate. The Holy Spirit does that too. He is our advocate. He is standing between us and the Father. Where we're not what we ought to be, the Holy Spirit's job is to represent us to the Father and the Father to us in the sense of making us right with God, bringing conviction to our lives, changing us, making us holy, doing a work in us, but also revealing to us God. He is our paraclete. He is our advocate. So he he is standing as an advocate legally, in a legal term, between God the Father and us. But he's also more than that. He is a comforter. That carries with it the idea of someone who helps. So the Holy Spirit's job is not just to beat us up. I mean, the Holy Spirit will convict us. He'll show us our flaws and our sinfulness. But God didn't send us the Holy Spirit just to point out all our flaws. You know, he's not the, he's not the hovering nag. He's, he's not, he's not the, the heavenly critic. Some of you know who, somebody in your life that, goodness gracious, if you're around them for three minutes, they're going to tell you everything that you've ever done wrong. 
I'm going to point out all your flaws. Unfortunately, some of you are married to that person. Thank heavens nobody nudged their spouse. You, you, you don't dare to nudge your spouse. In fact, your spouse, your, your spouse that is that critic is daring you to turn around and look at them right now. Some of you had a parent like that who always found the flaw, always found something that you did wrong. That's not the Holy Spirit. He will point out our flaws, but He is not. God didn't give us the Holy Spirit just to show us how far away from God we are. Though He does show us that, He came to help us. He came to draw us closer to God. He came to comfort us. So yeah, He's going to point out our sins, and then He's going to point us to Jesus who takes care of our sins. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. He guides us into truth. I mentioned that in before before I, uh, I prayed earlier. Thank you for your prayers. I have absolutely no doubt. In fact, I went to this text last week. And I said, God, I need some help. This is your word. You wrote it. You know what it means. So your spirit's going to have to give me some help in interpreting it so that I can make sense of it for our congregation. The Holy Spirit does that. If, if you get anything out of my sermons, my lessons, if you get anything out of your Bible reading, if you get anything out of your Sunday school classes, it is because the Holy Spirit is working through the word that's communicated and opening your eyes and hearts to understand it. There's no spiritual understanding apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in your life or in my life. So the credit shouldn't go to us. It should go to the Holy Spirit who is helping us to make sense of the truth that is taught. So the Holy Spirit also is the third person of the Trinity, second blank, who indwells believers. Indwells believers. Verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. Uh, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You heard me say, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I've told you before this takes place, so that when it does take place, you'll believe. I'll no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of the world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father commanded me, that the world may know that I love the Father. And then he invites them to rise and transition the, the teaching time to a walking time. Uh, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will indwell us. Now, at this particular moment in Christian history, the Holy Spirit did not indwell the, the disciples. Jesus promised later in the book of John that he would indwell the disciples. And I personally believe that when they experienced the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, I believe that took place at Pentecost. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of... Uh, that, that's been debated, so I could be wrong on that. But I'll make my case for that in two weeks. Uh, and then they had the Spirit with them all the time, guiding them and giving them understanding. So the Holy Spirit indwells believers. Uh, personally, just to kind of give you a heads up, if you miss two weeks from now, you don't want to go back and listen to the podcast, or you're not really interested in the controversy surrounding the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I simply believe that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is happens at, when the, the Holy Spirit baptizes us with coming inside of us. I think that's what that means. Uh, the next line is the Holy Spirit will witness about Jesus, bear witness about Jesus. And he is sent by Jesus. Look at chapter 15, verse 26 and 27. Jesus is continuing to teach. He said, but when the Helper comes, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you will also bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. So another purpose of the Holy Spirit coming to us as followers of Jesus is that the Spirit will bear witness about Jesus. That's his, that's his primary role. So let me pause for just a second and, and say this uh, as a kind of an aside comment. One of the reasons why the doctrine of the Holy Spirit appears to be mysterious is because the Bible, particularly the New Testament, does not emphasize or overemphasize the work of the Holy Spirit. Why does the Bible not overemphasize the work of the Holy Spirit? Because the work of the Holy Spirit isn't about the Holy Spirit being praised, honored, and glorified. It's not that that's wrong for us to praise the Holy Spirit. He's God. But the Holy Spirit's primary role is to point people to the one who saves, which is Jesus. Okay? The Holy Spirit did not die on the cross. God the Father did not die on the cross. Jesus, the Son, died on the cross and rose from the dead. The only means of salvation for any person anywhere in the world is to put their faith and trust in Jesus who died on the cross and who rose from the dead. So if we underemphasize the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we underemphasize the one who bears witness about Jesus. And churches can get in that. That can be a problem for churches to underemphasize the role of the Spirit. And we miss that altogether. We need the Spirit to teach us truth, and we need the Spirit to bear witness about Christ. No one comes to Christ whom the Holy Spirit has not borne witness to about Christ, convicted, brought to faith in Christ. Holy, that is the Holy Spirit's role. However, churches that overemphasize the role of the Holy Spirit get kind of caught up in the manifestations of the Spirit, the giftedness, the, the acts of, of kind of glorious work of the Spirit. And sometimes that can be a detraction from the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. That's his role. He wants people to see Jesus. He, because the only way people come to know Christ and come to salvation is through Jesus. Uh, continue reading with me in uh, chapter 16. Skip down to verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Uh, just imagine this for a second, context-wise. So, three years, or up to three years, these men have followed Jesus. They gave up livelihoods. Some of them left behind their families to walk with Jesus and learn from him. They heard the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, they watched him heal the woman who touched the robe of his garment. They watched him walk on water. They watched him raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, three of them, at least, were there when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. I mean, these men had given up everything to follow Jesus. Imagine what was going on in their minds when he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Well, I would be thinking, hold on. Do you know who you are? And do you know who we are? We really need you with us. But Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. That's Jesus talking. That's not anybody else's interpretation of the facts. It's Jesus' interpretation of the facts. Why is it to their advantage and our advantage that Jesus is not physically present with us? Notice what he says. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will do what? Convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. 
concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The blank there is the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Holy Spirit's job is to convict of sin. Holy Spirit's job came. God sent the Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Holy Spirit. Son says here, he sent the Holy Spirit in order that the Holy Spirit may indwell believers and in order that the Holy Spirit might convict the world of sin. We need that to be true in the lives of lost people. Some of you have asked me over the years, well, how in the world do I help somebody come to faith in Jesus? And, and there are lots of ways. There are lots of good communication tools. There, there are evangelism training programs. There are scriptures we can memorize. There are things we can tell people that they need to hear. And we do need to do that. We need to communicate the gospel. But what can you pray for that person that doesn't know Jesus? Pray John 16 for them. Pray that the Holy Spirit will convict them of sin. Some of you know what, some of you can remember back to that day of conversion in your life. Where you're like, I had to get something fixed because I I was wrong and I knew I was wrong and and I was sinful and I was going to die and spend eternity in hell. I needed something changed. Some of you can remember that just like it was yesterday. You know what that is? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit does that to a sinner's heart, the only thing that solves the conviction of the Holy Spirit is conversion through faith in Jesus. So you want your children, grandchildren, neighbors, co-workers to be saved? Pray that they'll experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Well, how do they do that? Well, the Spirit operates in coordination with the Word. That's why it's important for lost people to hear the message preached at a church or revival or crusade. It's why it is important for us, if we're going to pray that God will convict our 8-year-old grandson or our 25-year-old son about the gospel, what do we do alongside of that? We'll communicate what Scripture says. We don't have to do so in a mean-spirited way. I don't have to convince them they're a sinner. I don't have to berate them or beat them up or yell at them or fuss at them or make them feel guilty. Because if I can make you feel guilty enough to say a few words after a prayer then somebody else can make you feel guilty enough to follow some other path in life. The Holy Spirit convicts. Let me tell you something that should really encourage you. Children who come to faith in Jesus. What Danielle and I, Danielle Hicks, who's our children's minister, and uh, and Tad and, and Josh and I, what we look for with children is a sense of urgency. Children want to do some things immediately. They want pizza now. Okay, they want to go to the block now. They want to play their video game now, right? When a child wants to come to know Jesus now, you know that God is doing something in their heart and life. Conviction. Uh, One of the questions I ask children, not every time, but quite often, if I'm talking to them about the gospel, and some of you as parents have brought me your children and said, hey, they're asking questions, and I'll talk to them about what's going on in their life. Um, I'll ask him this, if you could trust Jesus today, or if you could wait a week, what would you do? And sometimes I'll have a child tell me, well, I think I'd like to wait a week. And I don't press and push at that point, because I know God's still working, and God is good at saving people. He doesn't need my help. He just needs me to communicate the gospel. He saves and redeems. I did that with a, a young girl, I don't know, 15 years ago or so. It was Wednesday night after church. 
at a previous church, and she she had some questions, and I said, well, if you, you know, would you like to trust Jesus today or wait a week? And she said, I think I'd like to wait a week. I said, okay. I said, I'll pray for you. And she and her mom walked off to her car. By the time she got to her car, she looked up at her mom, and she said, no, nah, I think I need to trust Jesus today. So she turned right around, and she trusted Jesus to be her Savior in that moment. What is that? That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit, folks. That is God, the Holy Spirit, making someone aware of sinfulness, and the only solution for that sinfulness is Jesus. And that's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit to convict of sin. The next statement, verses 12 and 13, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit will guide us in the truth. As I mentioned before, if we know anything from God the Father, it is because the Holy Spirit has shown us from Scripture what is true. So he will guide, he will guide his disciples into all truth. That's the blank there. He'll guide his disciples into all truth. 1614. The Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Jesus. Again, to bear witness about Jesus and to glorify Jesus. Uh, in just a second, we'll move to the Spirit's work in the life of the Christian. Let me, let me pause and, and, and do an aside. Um, there are some statements in the Gospel of John that have created some tension in the life of the church over the past several centuries, several thousand years really. There's the statement in chapter 14 where Jesus said, The Father will send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will proceed from the Father. And then Jesus reaffirms that very statement later on in chapter 15 uh, and chapter 16 where he says, I will send the Holy Spirit to you. And so where that has gotten a lot of tension is the issue of the roles and relationships within the Trinity. Uh, Protestant churches and Catholic churches have generally taken it to mean that there is a, a relational subordination where Jesus submitted to the plan of the Father so that our salvation could take place. And where the Holy Spirit functioned in a subordinate role in those events, the, whole, the Father sent the Holy Spirit, the Son sent the Holy Spirit. That created a tension in the, in the early church, or the middle-aged church, where the Orthodox Church, Greek Orthodox Church, kind of does not think that the Holy Spirit proceeds from Jesus, just that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. Now, that argument is not really a tremendous big deal. It's not something we're debating about in our day and age today. Where that argument does come back is where some uh, have tried to take and make more out of the relationship within the Trinity than the Bible articulates. Let me see if I can make sense of this for you. So I believe that in Jesus' work of salvation, he followed the Father's plan. He says that. He says, what I hear the Father say, I, I say. I don't do anything on my own. I do what the Father tells me to do. Same thing he says of the Holy Spirit. There's a relational submission in those roles related to salvation. But the Bible never articulates that there is some kind of eternal structure in the Trinity where the Father's in charge and the Spirit, Jesus is, Spirit, is, is God Jr. and the Holy Spirit is God Jr. Jr. That, that is not, there, there's nothing in the Bible that kind of gives us that picture. What the Bible articulates is that Jesus submitted to the plan of the Father to bring about salvation. 
And he sent the Holy Spirit along with the Father, sending the Holy Spirit to bring about salvation in our lives. The, the structural subordination or relational subordination that we see described in the New Testament simply relates, as far as I can tell, to the issue of salvation and the issue of bringing people to faith in Christ. It, it, it's not like there, and I, and I don't know how the Trinity functions, okay? I've not been present in the councils of God. Neither have you. I don't know if they take votes. I, 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 don't, I don't have any clue, and I don't even want to speculate. But Jesus is not lesser God than God, and the Holy Spirit is not lesser God than the Father. The reason that's important is some in, in the conversational circles of today uh, related to the issue of complementarianism, which I'm a complementarian. I believe God created a male and a female with distinct gender roles. He, just, he, he made us different. It's not, a, it's not an ontological difference in who a man is and who a woman is. But some, I might call them hyper-complementarians, uh, to pick up on the, the, the term hyper-Calvinist, hyper-complementarians, see that there's an eternal subordination in the Trinity, and then they take that and say that basically women are eternally subordinate to men. It's the way they pick up on that terminology, and they use that to kind of make an argument. I'm just going to say, I don't think that that's what the New Testament teaches. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. If you come across that or run, run across that, I think that's problematic. I think it's problematic because of what it does to the doctrine of the Trinity. It might actually, that understanding of the Trinity might actually be heretical. It's close if it's not actually heretical. And the Bible nowhere then claims that the relationship we have in this area of life is illustrated by the relationship within the Trinity. It, it, that's, not the way, that's not the way the Bible tells us to model our relationships. And so I just don't think that that is helpful terminology. I, I, I've preached on this before, so I'm not going to go into the details of, of women and men and gender roles and all that kind of stuff. Uh, even though I'm a complementarian, I think that the Bible teaches that in the home, a wife is to be submissive to her husband, but I don't think that that means, by extension, women are to be submissive to men in general. Okay? Maybe you take issue with that. Maybe you like that. I just don't think that's what the Bible says. I don't think that's articulated from Genesis to Revelation. I think he's talking about in the structure of the home. Okay? So, I only said that. I ran across those arguments when I was studying in First Timothy. And... Um, I kind of decided when I started doing this theology series, I wouldn't avoid the modern-day tensions. I won't tell you all of them, but the ones that I think matter. So anyway, there that, there that goes. You wanna, if you want to read more on that subject, I can point you to a couple of books that deal with some of it tangentially. I don't agree with everything in the books that I read on that, but I think that is at least a helpful caveat. Okay, the Spirit's work in the life of the Christian. Let's walk through several of these. The Spirit regenerates. We noted that last week. He's the one who makes us alive, John 3, 3. So if you're saved, you're saved because of the work of the Holy Spirit. He made you alive. You're not spiritually alive unless the Holy Spirit does that. So we need the Holy Spirit for conversion to take place. Uh, the Spirit baptizes, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. As I mentioned, in two weeks we will unpack what I think Paul's teaching about that, how that connects to what Jesus, or what John the Baptist, rather, said about Jesus and then how that fits in the book of Acts. 
the Spirit indwells, Romans 8, 9. He indwells us. He lives within us. He's with you wherever you go. Just remember that. Whatever you listen to, whatever you watch, whatever you read, whatever things you think, whatever things you say, the places you go, the Holy Spirit indwells you and is with you wherever. That is both gloriously encouraging. You're never alone. And quite a bit convicting. He's with you wherever you are. He indwells us. And that is something we need to think about a little more often as Christians. We need that. Amen? It's a motivation toward holy behavior. Should be. Spirit uh, sanctifies, 2 Corinthians 2.13. He makes us holy. That's his, his job in your life as a follower of Jesus. One of his primary roles is to make you holy. We're going to deal with the doctrine of salvation in weeks to come. Uh, probably pick up on that some late February, early March, and move through that in that doctrine through the spring. And one of the passages that deal with salvation deal with God's foreknowledge and those elements is uh, Romans eight twenty nine for whom He foreknew He uh, predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. I just want you to know that wherever you take that about foreknowledge and election and and salvation, and we're going to discuss that in coming weeks, the purpose for which God saved you is to turn you into the image of Jesus. And we need help for that to happen. The Holy Spirit's got to take out of me what is Chris and, and change my desires, my longings, my tendencies, my wants, my desires, and make them more like Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit's doing in your life and my life. And on that, on that kind of journey from spiritual immaturity from Hebrews 5 and 6 to spiritual maturity, the Holy Spirit's role is to sanctify us, to make us holy. The Holy Spirit fills us. Hebrews, or I mean Acts, uh, excuse me, um, Ephesians 5.18. Filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, how in the world do I get to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You already are. Jesus is dwelling with you. Do you think you only get half of God half the days of your life? Now, when we use the terminology filled, it carries with it the idea of the Holy Spirit controlling us. We don't ever control God, but the Holy Spirit's already in you. You don't get more of the Holy Spirit tomorrow than you do today because you read the Bible five minutes longer tomorrow than you did this morning. That's not the way Christian experience works, being filled with the Spirit. And go back and read Ephesians 5. It carries with it the idea of us being aware of the Spirit's role leading our lives. We'll unpack that in more detail in weeks to come. The Spirit empowers us. Acts 1.8. That you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And when you do, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The Spirit empowers us. Some of you can't even possibly imagine looking at someone who you have never met before and telling them about Jesus. You're scared to death to be a witness. That's okay. Lots of people have been nervous and afraid to be a witness. Do you know how we get over that? We love God. We love them. And we get empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's job to empower us to be witnesses for the gospel. And if you read the book of Acts, 
The Holy Spirit is very successful at that. Empowering. Our challenge is letting him work in us to empower us. Holy Spirit empowers us. Uh, the last set of blanks there, not the last thing the Holy Spirit does in our lives, the last set of blanks we're going to talk about here. The Spirit bears fruit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Make a couple of applications there before I give you the takeaways. The Holy Spirit's job is to bear the fruit in our lives that make us look more like Jesus. Okay? There have been plenty of churches and plenty of Christians ruined by people who don't act like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay? I've heard it said the church is the only place that people shoot their own wounded. Some of y'all get that. If you've been in Wilkesboro Baptist Church your whole life, you may not, because we're, we're not that church, not, not typically. I know we've had our moments. I'm, I'm not saying we haven't. I'm just saying we're not fighting and fussing and yelling and angry and, and backbiting and bitter and thank heavens, right? And why? But Because what God wants to do is build the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Now watch this. Try to live out the fruit apart from relationships with people. The fruit of the Spirit is not some internal kind of checklist that you in your quiet time go away with God and say, God, today I want to be more loving. And we start looking at our lives to see if our lives are more loving and we check that box. Hey, I was more loving today. Joy, peace, patience. All of those are internal. Don't get me wrong. They're very much internal but they're to be lived out in relationship around other people all the time. Why does Paul say that? Because, folks, a church where the Holy Spirit is bearing the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that's the kind of church Christians want to be a part of. And by the way, that's the kind of church lost people will come to. Holy Spirit wants to bear that fruit in our lives. And, and yeah, all of us have some work there. The area God's convicted me about in recent years is the area of joy. I do a lot of things. I'm very active in my personal life, church life. You know, sometimes the Lord's convicted me because I haven't done that joyfully. And it's my fault. It's not anybody else's fault. And that's a conviction. And guess what? Joy encourages and motivates and, and attracts and all of those things. Jesus is the very embodiment of those things. Okay, I've, I've kept us longer than I need to, and I've got three more points to make, so I'll make those very quickly. Takeaways, the Holy Spirit is the person of the Trinity whose work is most intimate and necessary in our lives as Christ followers. Um, how do we know God the Father? We know God the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How do we know Jesus Christ the Son through the work of the Holy Spirit? He is with you always. Holy Spirit is present, ever present in your life as a follower of Jesus. He is the presence of God. This is beautiful. Think about this. Jesus said, I and the Father will come make our home. We will make our home with you. 
How? Through the indwelling Holy Spirit. I don't know how many of you have your dream house. If you own a house, I'm not sure anybody ever has a dream house because as soon as you get your dream house, you realize that something needs to be fixed at your dream house. Something needs to be done different. Something needs to be painted again. Maybe God feels that way about us. I don't know. You are his home. You want to get to know God the Father? Let the work of the Holy Spirit build the truths about God into your life. He works through the Word. He works through the ministry of the church. And that's the next point. We need the Spirit's guidance to understand and apply the truth of Scripture. Some of you say, how do I understand what the Bible says? Well, one thing I, I do, I don't do it every week. I don't do it every day when I have my devotions. But a lot of times before I do my devotions, I pause and pray and just ask God for understanding. I, I do that almost every week in study and preparation for preaching. Specifically, God, will you help me be clear about what your word teaches? So if you come across a passage of scripture you're not sure about, pray and ask God for guidance. He's promised that the Holy Spirit will help us understand truth. Last one. One of the primary responsibilities of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Christ, whose work was to bring about salvation. Again, and and I've stressed this point already. I'll say it one more time. The reason that we don't spend hours and hours and weeks and weeks and sermons and songs talking about the Holy Spirit is not because He is God Jr. It's not because He's less than the Father or less than the Son. It's because the Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus. The healthiest thing that we can do as a church is to make much of Jesus always and all the time. And anything, and this is going to apply to when we unpack the controversial elements of the Spirit's gifting and baptism of the Spirit, when those practices distract from Jesus, they cease to be edifying and helpful for churches. And that's not the only determiner of whether or not they're legitimate or real. That is a significant determiner. The Holy Spirit's job is to point to Jesus because Jesus is the one who saves and redeems. He's the one who died on the cross. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.